A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herleman, sponsored by Starburst. Starburst is a single platform to help you activate all your data, no matter where it lives. Check out our new Data Products for Dummies ebook to learn more about how your organization can utilize data products. To download your free copy, head on over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Episode 278, Data Contracts for the Rest of Us, Approaching Contracts in a Non-Tech-Heavy Company. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Ryan Collingwood, who's the head of data and analytics at Oroton Group. To be clear, though, he was only representing his own views on the episode. So here are some key takeaways or thoughts from Ryan's point of view. One, have empathy for yourselves and others and all things you do around data. You won't always get it right the first time. Build the relationships, build the trust to continually drive and iterate towards better. Number two, in tech, far too often we hear what people need and then provide a poor solution to actually solving or addressing their needs. It's focusing on the tech instead of the people and what they actually need to accomplish. Number three, far too many technical solutions and approaches, such as data mesh, data contracts, etc., are really presented for tech-heavy or tech-forward companies, kind of like startups. You know, I know Data Mesh isn't really for startups, but, you know, <laughs> same thing that we really look at it as if people are very, very technically competent. Most companies, large or small, are not capable to leverage the approaches as they are presented, so they must be adapted for kind of the rest of us type of companies. You know, and Data Mesh is, is like this quite often, or quite honestly. Number four, far too often these tech approaches focus purely on the tech instead of the people. That's partially because every org has a different culture, so you can't cover them all. You can't, you know, I know some people want that with your Max book, but like you can't have it applicable uh, copy paste for everybody. But if you only follow the approach as presented, most of the times, instead of focus on the, the people and the ways of working in your organization, it's far less likely to go well. 
you've implemented a great technical solution that no one wants to or can use. That's not great. Number five, potentially controversial. What are the, quote, what are the trade-offs that I can make while still being true to the value and the benefits that I want to get out of this? You know, Scott note here, this is so important to consider when looking at any technical pattern or approach. What is true to the value of the approach, not exactly how it was presented? Number six, data contracts really rely on three things, at least two parties, an agreement of some kind that is recorded in some way, and access to data that conforms to that agreement. You can add value building beyond those three, but you have to start somewhere and you can deliver value with something that only satisfies those three. You can really strip it down. Number seven, potentially controversial. It's hard not to have a sense of imposter syndrome when you actually strip a concept down and implement something that doesn't look like the public examples. That's okay and to be expected. If you're delivering value reliably, you're probably doing something right, right? Number eight, the world changes all the time. Your systems will change. Your data sources will change. Your understanding of the world will change. Your processes will change. Create and use approaches that can handle change, or you're just going to create more headaches down the road. Number nine, with a centralized data team, the data team is often considered the data producer, at least to the consumer in a data contract. So with strong testing for the data team, that they can be far more sure about meeting their contracts with consumers. So think about implementing some strong testing policies. Number 10, express data quality quite in a way that engages people who are not you. Make it understandable. It doesn't have to be and shouldn't be rocket science. Number 11, data contracts should be the culmination of multiple conversations because then the producer isn't just posting data. They understand the needs of the consumers and can best serve them. Number 12, it can be incredibly helpful to just go talk to your business colleagues about data in their applications or that they use that's in the warehouse. They can explain the concept of the context of what is going on in the real world, and you can kind of come back and show them how it is represented in the data, and you can say, does this match? Both people can gain a lot of understanding. Number 13, similar to data mesh, most people in your organization won't care you are specifically doing data contracts. You know, I have this whole thing of data mesh and unicorn farts. They don't care that you're doing data mesh. Talk to them about what changes and why you are doing it and how it will deliver value. Speak in the language of the business, meet them where they are. Number 14, also similar to data mesh, you don't need to convert the whole company up front. Find an alley to test at a small scale and prove value. Use that to learn, get a champion, and show value to gain more converts. Number 15, some data isn't worth cleaning if it fails your contracts testing, right? Really consider what is a value and negotiate that with your consumers. Have that actual conversation. They may want six years of data, but really only six months or six weeks is of considerable value. So you start to say, well, I could clean this stuff up, but it's going to take weeks and weeks of work. Is this really valuable to, to have this uh, metric all the way back to six years? Number 16, 
what is the risk? What is the fear of a piece of data being wrong? Really assess that, really lean into that. If it's relatively close, if the data is close to what you're trying to get to, especially for now, will that be good enough to start to make a decision based on directionality? People need to consider that data is never 100% accurate. So what is good enough and how comfortable are they with that uncertainty? What do they need to make the decision? What do they need to make a good decision to move forward on? Number 17, potentially controversial. Relatedly, signal is what matters most. Not, you know, usually there are some places where exact measurement really does matter, but signal is what matters most, most times. Get people used to finding the signal, but also get them used to understanding how reliable that signal is and then acting on it to an appropriate degree. You don't bet your company on something that's a weak signal. Finally, number 18, if something you are measuring, some data point, isn't going to cause action no matter what the result, why measure it? Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay, very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Ryan Collingwood here, who is the head of data and analytics, or you can also call him an ambiguity aquanaut at uh, Oroton. And uh, to be clear, though, he's only representing his own views. So uh, I, I came across Ryan when Andrew Jones, who, you know, progenitor of kind of the data contracts concept and uh, has been really pushing that. And, and I really like Andrew a lot because, uh, you know, I think his perspective on this is not just a tech central centric, but a, a people centric. But he he posted a presentation by by Ryan, and it was really really good. And so I, I immediately reached out. This has been a topic I've been caring about since you know late 2021. You know, at, I think at one point I mentioned there were I found eight pieces of content on data contracts, and four of them were episodes of Data Mesh Radio. So I've been caring about this for a long time, and we're going to be talking about a lot. But a lot of this we're going to be talking about is how a lot of the folks talking about things like data contracts are at very, very techie companies. But we need to take these types of concepts, and especially data contracts, and make it something that is more approachable and that is actually applicable or able to be done at other types of companies. Um, and how most people are at, at least rational actors and hopefully, hopefully empathetic act actors. So how do we actually allow them to show that empathy and actually do that instead of just be like, hey, you must not break anything downstream. Well, I don't know what I'm doing that would break anything downstream. Well, too bad. You, you can't break anything downstream. Uh, you know, and how a, a data contract is a conversation and how we actually think about doing that as well as just in general, the, the needless binary thinking, especially around data, but in, in tech in general. So. Lots of things that I'm, I'm excited to talk about. Uh, these have kind of been a lot of recurring themes as well on, on the podcast for a while. But um, before we jump into that, Ryan, if you don't mind giving people a bit of an introduction to yourself 
and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Yeah. Um, thanks. Thanks for having me here, Scott. Um, so when I talk about my journey through technology, uh, I, I like to reflect on the fact that I've touched various points of the, all the activity that goes into building, you know, these imaginary constructs that allow us to do things. You know, my very first sort of grown up job was working tech support. You know, I was right there in the trenches. Um, and then eventually moving, you know, to software development and it may have been a, a function of the place and the time that I was at, had this realization that we did a really poor job of solving things that people needed, right? You know, um, we were really good at hearing what they wanted, but really solved what they needed. And then went on a bit of a detour, went back you know, to university for a while, uh, and ultimately fell into the line of sort of business analysis, um, then into consulting and then into product management. And, you know, now I'm looking after a small data team at a retailer, a fashion retailer uh, in Australia. Um, so that's kind of been my professional journey in terms of me as a person. Um, I like to think that I'm fairly easygoing, um, although yet really passionate about the things that I'm passionate about. Um, and, you know, my happy place is hanging out with my wife and our cat when it's cold outside and it's warm inside and we're watching something good. You know, I love cinema. I love film. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of me outside of work. Well, and I think it's funny when uh, an Australian is like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty laid back. And I'm like, yeah, if you were in America, everyone would be like, you're the most laid back person I've ever met. And so, you know, coming from that, that perspective. But so when we were talking in, in the pre-call, um, we were talking about how you, especially when you were putting together this presentation, you were a little bit anxious and nervous if if this would uh, fly with a lot of the folks. So I think Andrew giving you the big thumbs up, uh, oh, I think you said was, was, was a really um, great validation because you were trying to take this data contracts concept and make it something that actually could work at your company. So let's talk a little bit about that. And, and you know, we could talk a little bit about the why. I think the why is somewhat evident, but it's also sometimes not. There's usually some kind of hidden little thing. So maybe what were you seeing about it that was a little bit too techy or a little bit too lab settings or anything like that and what you needed and, and what you decided to take from that and and what you didn't take from that, you know, where you just went, eh, this thing is would be great, but it's way too much or anything like that. And then we can talk about how others can can do this type of, of thing as well, whether it's data contracts or anything else. Yeah. Yeah, there, there were a couple of things, um, and I guess to put it into a hierarchy, it was principally around the people and then sort of the architecture, um, both in terms of the software and the and the organization. So I'll, I'll speak to the people thing because, frankly, that's what makes or breaks anything, is, is really your people. Um, and reading through the literature of data contracts the way it was being presented to me, there was this very, at least in my point of view, uh, there was this assumption that you had multiple teams of people that had a you know fairly high degree of technical sophistication. That you know tech or maybe even data was their primary focus. Whereas you know my reality, uh, as I said, you know we're we're very small data team looking after, and I'm. A much bigger rest <laughs> than we are. And I looked at this and thought, mm, I'm going to have to make some 
variations upon this tuning to make it work. Um, because the way that's been presented to me, I just don't have those people present. And for me to get those other people outside of my team to care about this as much as I do, I'm going to need to get some wins first. So how do I do that? How do I get the wins with the people that I have um, and, and, and the people that I need to win over? Then there was that second aspect around the architecture. Um, so, and, and, th- and this was raised me when, uh, by fellow here at a, a Melbourne meetup. On first glance, when you look at a lot of the content around data contracts, it might be too easy to look at it and go, this seems to imply that you're living in a streaming world. Because a lot of the reference architectures and, 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 the, and the talk that surrounds data contracts does seem to imply that you've got some sort of streaming going on. Or at the very least, you know, you've got this ability to intercept, you know, a packet of data and push it aside, you know, into like a dead letter queue, or you can hold it back, right? And then ponder, you know, how are we going to remediate this this packet of data, or you know, or how are we going to triage it? When I looked at my environment, you know, it's very batch, uh, very scheduled, and the idea that I could intercept data coming in and push it aside. And have the the in my world the luxury, <laughs> frankly, to decide what am I going to do with this? You know, because it doesn't conform with my expectations. It was like that again would be difficult to sell. So that was sort of the the architecture of of, of the systems. And then, and I, I suppose I touched on this in terms of the, the 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 people bit before. But the other aspect around data contracts, at least from the first read of it and the, the initial tranches of information I was looking at, there was this implicit assumption around the architecture of your organization that you had uh, data engineers or data aware people or you know software engineers with backend kind of chops embedded around your organization which for a lot of you know very tech focused organization that that is the truth you know that is the the, the default but for me you know I'm working with a centralized function so again we're sort of like okay let's let's have a look at what's being put forward here. And how do I adapt to my reality? Because I didn't want to look at these things at the face of it. You know, the 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 people delta, the uh, technology delta, and the organization delta, and look at that and go, well, I don't align with that. So clearly, this isn't for me. Because I wanted the benefit, right? So it's kind of like, how do I? I don't know if bend the rules is quite the phrase, but you know, what are the things that I can sort of twist? What are the trade offs that I can make? while still being true to the value and the benefits that I want to get out of this. Yeah, I think it's it's really funny. Um, Christoph Spohr at, at Volkswagen was talking about, you know, there are no good decisions or bad decisions, or I guess there are some bad decisions, but there's no, or there's no correct decision when it comes to good software uh, architecture and good, good things like that. It's all trade-offs, right? And so exactly what you're talking about of how can I get what I'm trying to get, well, you know, or get the the maximum benefit that I want with the minimum cost because I don't need to go whole hog. Like like you said, it, it would be really funny if you were like, hey, we're going to do data contracts. So I need you to um, employ, you know, 10 new software engineers to uh, jump into each of these domains. I, I would love to hear how that would go for uh, that that conversation of oh okay get out get out of my office like no yeah you know I, I'm I'm not a gambling man but I'd put money on that not going the way I wanted to go 
Yeah. Well, I, I, I really liked how uh, you were talking about to be able to do this in the longer term in the way that you really wanted, you had to make even more trade-offs at the start where you said yeah. like, hey, I need to get some wins to get the momentum behind this to go a little bit deeper. So I'd love to hear like how, like one, you know, I want to talk about what you did to actually modify them, what you, what you kept, what you didn't, but also like where you're, where you might be adding more and more back to, right? Where you go, okay, I'm going to scale back the initial ID because some people are trying to do this with data mesh and they go about it the completely wrong way because they're like, we're just going to do um, one of these pillars and we're just going to, you know, one of the principles and we're just going to focus on that. And then they get so far down that, that there isn't that concept of thin slicing of like, what foundationally do I need to actually move this in the right direction without getting so lopsided that I can't fix it later once I actually do have that momentum and that capability to build on it? So I know it's a very difficult question and it's a very difficult balance, but I'd, I'd love to hear how you were thinking about that. Not what are the answers, but how you're thinking. About yeah. That. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it is difficult. It, it is incredibly tricky, right? Because you have to look at what's being presented to you and then effectively in here's the word abstract <laughs> you know what are the core features um and capabilities that you need to get the features that you want you know what needs to be present what needs to be true i think in my case i was just incredibly lucky that you know um andrew put out that book at the end of june um and there were just some really great uh diagrams and explanations that made it really clear for me. So, you know, around the concept of data contracts, you know, when you look at the minimum viable stuff that you need, it's, you're going to have at least two parties, right? Some articulation of agreement and an interface by which you access data that conforms to that agreement, you know, so that gives you a lot of leeway. Right, you know, because there's a variety of ways you can get that, um, and and, I th and but yet that's really hard because you know if if it isn't presented to you in a way that works for you know I guess the headspace that you're in, it can be difficult to extrapolate that. Um, you know, I I I would like to claim that oh it's just because I'm you know, super genius, but I think I was just really fortunate that I was looking at the right thing at the right time, and it was presented to me in a way that it was like ah great, and I think that's perhaps a lesson for you know any of us trying to impart an idea that is sufficiently complex is be sure that you provide a viewer that is distilled down to the base components that is as free of implementation detail as you can possibly make it so that people can kind of like fill in the the, the blanks for themselves because you know as i said it, it is all too easy to look at something exactly how it is presented and then immediately Draw the uh, draw the differences between what is presented versus what you have, and then perhaps feel discouraged or think this is too hard. Um, so I, I wish I had a a better answer apart from you know identify the value and then just try and strip it back. You know, you've you've been presented with a a car, right? What what are the things that you can strip back while still maintaining a thing that provides a method of transport? <laughs> and at what point are you willing to like sacrifice it? You know, like, do you get down to like, 
a skateboard and be like, all right, so far, no further. Or are you prepared to go down to roller skates? <laughs> it's like, maybe that's it. It's just looking at the what, what has been offered and subtract and subtract and subtract you know the the implementation detail um, until you feel like you could not subtract any more without violating the benefit or the goodness of what you came to this thing for. Yeah, I, I think this has been a, a big issue, especially with data mesh. Is you know uh, I, I just talked to Jamac recently, and she was like, I, I thought I provided a lot more prescriptive advice than people are are saying, and it's like. You did in a lot of ways, but people are like, but this this doesn't fit my exact detail of my organization. And it's like, well, of course she couldn't have done that. Her her book was, you know, already what, like 350 pages. Did you want a 3,500 page book? I mean, some people did because yeah. they want like, I want you to fit into the, here are the, the nine different, you know, framings that are the most important. Okay. When you think about that, what is that like? Um, eight factorial or something like that. So it's, you know, like if you think about the, the combinations or is nine factorial, I, I don't know. But the math just gets insane how many different, and even if you only did a page and a half on each of those, it just gets to be ridiculous. And so, um, and that's only those those factors. And people are like, well, I've got these other 50 factors that I think are important. It's like, exactly. But that that concept of of bringing it out into what what matters and and what what are you actually trying to achieve like do you have any do you have anything specific that you did on on the data contract side like where you could say this is what i actually looked at and said you know i mean you're kind of saying it's it's the agreement between two parties it's an interface that you can agree on right yes we would love for it to be incredibly complex and deep and that there's this incredibly deep understanding between both parties it doesn't sound like your organization has that deep of a need of like, hey, you know, this really important semantic difference between, you know, th this tiny little difference between these two things. It's like that doesn't drive a ton of value to to have a, you know, two week back and forth conversation versus like, hey, does this get me the information I need? So I'd love to hear a little bit about how, like, what were the specifics that you were doing that if you can dig into that at all? Yeah. So what brought me initially to the door of, you know, looking for something like a data contract was two things. One, it was, what is the meaning, you know, like the semantics of the information that we're talking about? And two, the good old challenge of data quality, you know, <laughs> you know, what, what are the assurances that I can have about a piece of information coming in? Um, and there's a variety of perspectives on that. You know, there's the uh, the ingest perspective. You know, if you're responsible for ingesting data from a, a source system, you know, that that question may take more the form of like schema and you know uh, SLAs and what have you. Whereas if you're a, a, you know the CEO looking at a report, it's perhaps more about the the timeliness and and the and the truthiness of the data, right? Um, so when I looked at, at data contracts as a concept, like it was a whole bunch of things that, you know, it was the way I see it is it is a combination of things that have served me well in the past before, but sort of reformulated and remixed into uh, 
a thing that is both new and fresh and also quite straightforward. Um, and what I mean by this is, you know, in my previous life as a, a business analyst, putting together something like a data dictionary, I've done it many, many times before, you know, and, and a data dictionary is literally like, here are the things that exist in our world, here are their attributes, you know, and here are some rules about them, right? But it was always a document that was used by humans, right? Yeah. And so rigid, right? And and so it's not yeah, flexible. Yeah. It doesn't flex with the real world. Yeah. No, it doesn't. And 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 the and, and the other frustrating thing about that that approach is it is correct up until the world changes and the world changes all the time. <laughs> and the way that these things tend to go is like it'll be part of like a big initiative, like, oh, we need to like get a understanding, we need to have a reckoning, you know, we've gone through some sort of big organizational change or some big process change or some systems change. So let's, let's document the truth. And then you do it and your world changes and you have drift, right? And, and what I liked about the data contracts approach, and, you know, I know this to be true for code and, and, you know, tests in code, you know, that it's true and it works because you can run it, you can test it, you can verify it, you can build stuff with it. And so when I saw that in data contracts of like, okay, this is like some of the things that I've done before, but the idea is it's not only used for articulating meaning, it's also used for building and verifying stuff. And I was like, yes, I want that. Because if I'm going to go to the trouble, and particularly within my context of having to do a lot of legwork, right? Because <laughs> you know this, this idea that there, there is a separate producer and there's a separate consumer we can get to that in a second about how that plays out in my world. But I was going to have to do a lot of legwork. I mean, well, our team, rather. I want to get some benefit from it, you know, selfishly. You know, I, I want to know that I can take this this document and, you know, run some tests and, and know that when those tests have run, you know, I have a high degree of confidence that, yeah, what we've written in this document is actually true, you know, because I, I've run it, you know, like the, the code ran and test results were generated. Um, so, th so that's what really brought me to it. And on that, um, th the other thing that was, and you know, and I said this in my talk, perhaps a a learning that shouldn't have been such a surprise, but ultimately was quite a surprise, was if you're coming to this from a data quality point of view, um, you need to be able to express that in a way that engages people who are not you. <laughs> and, and what I mean by this is quite simply, can you draw a picture? <laughs> you know, like, can, can you have some sort of graph or dashboard that says, last week, the goodness was over here. This week, it's over, you know, it's, it's in another place. It's gone up or down. Like, even if it's just, you know, a relative measurement, you know, if you can't numberify it exactly, and, and perhaps that's uh, a task for someone far brighter than I am, but, you know, to numberify it exactly would be quite challenging. So even if it's just relative to kind of say, you know, this week we only had like five rows that, you know, violated our expectations versus the week before we had 50. So yay, <laughs> like just that and, and being able to visualize it and, and present it in a way that people who aren't you can engage with it and understand and see the, the impact of the work that you're doing really 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 important um and as i said you know that it was a, a learning that kind of i don't say blindsided me but 
you know, at, at the first attempt of sharing, like, hey, you know, we've got this data contract and, you know, this is a way for us to verify our expectations. I just kind of got like blank looks like, huh? And I was like, okay, this hasn't landed. How do I make this real for people? Um, and at least in, you know, the, 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 the literature that I was reading, no one really said that. And maybe it's one of those things where people just go, well, no, duh, you, you, you have to do it anyways. But um, it, it just kind of slipped me by. And so I would say to anyone embarking in this kind of journey, make sure you can draw a picture of, <laughs> like, you know, make, make it real as to the difference that you're, you're making uh, early and often, right? Because that's, that's the other um, danger that, you know, it's very easy to fall into. And what I wanted to guard against when initially approaching this concept was you don't want to spend weeks and months toiling away trying to implement something that theoretically is going to deliver you value without being able to show something for it in the short term. Right. You, you want to get that quick win. Um, more often than not, just so that you know you're actually approaching value. Because, <laughs> you know, if you, if you can't realize value, it's hard to know if you're going to, if you're going to arrive at something valuable. Right. If it, you know, we, we know this. Like we've been talking about this for God knows, like 20 plus years. Right. Um, so, yeah, be, be really sure to think about that. You know, like what's the thin slice and how do I make that thin slice? meaningful and, and realistic for people who aren't me. Yeah. Well, and a, a few things that I'd, I'd love to react to there. One, especially at the end, what's valued is not always valuable and what's valuable is not always valued. So connecting that valuable to make it valued is important. Um, you mentioned the concept of semantic drift, which, oh God, I, I cannot find anybody who's actually measuring what's or even really defining what semantic drift looks like or what it means, but it's so important where you go, hey, like the way we use this this term has changed over time. So this report that we've been using for 10 years, it no longer makes any sense. It's, it no longer is meaningful. And so having that conversation, but especially what you talked about as well of the getting people to understand that data is neither right nor wrong, right? People have this one or a zero versus that concept of how much can you trust this? Like, let's talk about what is your trustability factor on this rather than is this 100% or if it's not 100%, then it's essentially 0%. It's like we we don't have that in, in any aspect of the world. We can't fully trust really anything. And so, I mean, you know, even you look at stuff like eyewitness testimony and it's like, it's only like 40% accurate. Like, how insane is that where you're like, people's brains are only 40% accurate as to what they remembered seeing, you know, 20 minutes ago. So, like, you know, helping people to understand that and you go to that tangible of like, hey, we're going to make this so that you understand and that you understand that we're we're tracking it. We're not waiting for you to come to us and go, this is broken. We're we're keeping track of it. We're We're watching over it. To make sure that this this meets what you need, it gives them a lot of assurance, and it, and it generates the conversation in such a way where they can have a useful conversation, right? That's the the non technical part, right? You're like, oh, and here's the JSON schema of what we're doing, and it's like, no, like you know, you don't have those technical folks, but you go like, here's what we're we're going to tell you, we're going to be able to to deliver, and if we don't, we're going to raise our hands and say, hey we didn't do it or, or here's what we're trying to achieve. 
and let's put it in terms that that matter to you. And then you can tell us, well, you know, this thing that you're really, really aiming for incredible quality on, it's not that important to us. But this other thing that you're just saying, eh, this is kind of, uh, you know, best effort. That's actually where we want you to not put best effort. We want you to put all your effort on, you know, it, it generates the the capability to have a much deeper conversation instead of requirements dumping or just saying, well, we want it to all be, you know, maximize the quality. That's not a helpful conversation to anybody. So, yeah, I, I just really liked a lot, a lot of what you were saying in there. I think it, it also transitions well into thinking about this, like rational actors and empathetic actors of like, how do we create systems that allow ourselves to act with empathy and and have empathy and understand either side? Like, how did you start to go about that? Was that more conversational and saying, like, how do we build this thing and extract what people needed? Or did you just kind of know, hey, most systems aren't built in this way, so I've got to do something completely different? How did you start to head down that route? It was really more a conversation of, you know, well, just that uh, the conversation, right? Because you know that's that's what the the contract represent, right? It's a it's a the result of many conversations, and it was through this process of having conversations that I realized that my understanding of the impact of certain types of data and the quality around those data points was, you know, I, I'd really sort of minimized. You know, oh, it can't be that bad. You know, if say the colors and the color family of apparel, you know, isn't fully represented in our data set, like, you know, how bad can it be? You know, surely having an understanding around the costings and, you know, and, 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 the, and the money, you know, surely that is, you know, the, the thing that needs to be focused on. And certainly it is. But through talking with people that had a, a different perspective, that information, you know, coming to the example of like, say, you know, the, the, the color and the color family of, of, of you know, apparels and uh, garments, as it were, um, I suddenly realized, whoa, you know, having this information really makes a difference to this person's life, their ability to do, do the work that they need to do. And the absence of it means that they have to do, go through a whole lot of effort and toil that really isn't their core calling. You know, they, they didn't go through years of learning and studying to then run around and populate an Excel spreadsheet with missing bits of information that they needed to do their job. Like, I, I don't think anyone goes through what they, they went through to do that. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it was really just talking and, and just connecting as people going like, oh, okay, I, I, I understand why you care about this thing now. Um, is there a way that we could build systems that, that do this? Um, I, I don't think I, I have an answer for that um, because in my mind, you know, empathy, at least in my experience, has, has always been the result of an earnest conversation saying, this is me, this is my understanding, and I acknowledge that my understanding is my own and is inherently flawed. So please tell me yours and just going through the, 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 the conscious action of, I don't want to say fighting against yourself, but allowing yourself to be open to thoughts and ideas that aren't your own, even though your brain is doing, you know, because I sometimes call brain scumbag optimizers and that like, 
they optimize in a way that cons- that works for them that conserves energy but sometimes unnecessarily like assumes ill intent or you know like bad outcomes you know if it conserves energy but it's like a a bad outcome you know that that's a good result for most brains most of the time you know um and so it's difficult and i'd like to think that i get it right most of the time but uh, you know like today yeah i'll be honest i i, I had a pretty poor day for for empathizing you know i was presented with a, a a request and i kind of on the face of it you know my first reaction was like what the hell like why why would you look at it that way and then sort of walked away from that encounter and realized you know what i i did not do so great on stepping outside of myself and stepping outside of my own bias and assumptions um and i'm probably gonna have to reach out tomorrow and say hey i i didn't do so good in that front can we try that again um, yeah, it's, it's hard. And sometimes you just got to eat it. Are, as data people, aren't, aren't you never supposed to have to talk to other human beings? Isn't that the whole point of being a data person? <laughs> uh, perhaps, you know, in a, a sufficiently large organization and a sufficiently complex machine, true. Um, but in my world, in my context, uh, there is no getting away from having the conversations and again, I maintain that data, as we know it, is merely a side effect of activity, of stuff happening. Right. And so at some point, you're going to need to go out and talk with the people that are doing the stuff or know about the stuff or have a strong opinion on the stuff. Because if you're just taking that data at face value and surfacing it up to them without you know, that understanding of the context, what are the motivations... What are the hopes? What are the fears? Uh, you're you're either going to find it highly unfulfilling, or you're not going to realize the value that you could. Um, and yeah, like I get it. You know, have, having conversations is, is is hard and it's difficult, particularly if you are tasked with also doing that very deep systems work, like coming up from you know down in the Mariana Trench to like back up to the surface, you know. I, I have to do that some days and it, it's, oh, oh, you know, I'm not a diver, but, you know, I, I certainly feel, I experience what I imagine the bends feels like, you know, like, you know, the, 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 the condition that occurs when you surface too quickly. Cause like my brain's kind of been deep down in the, in the guts of it and sound like, whoop, okay, let's come back to, you know, hopes, thoughts, feelings, and, and, and aspirations and, you know, assumptions, you know, like very different lens of thinking. Um, it's it's not easy, um, and people that are able to change gears like that, I'm infinitely in awe of because uh, it's 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 hard. But I imagine, like anything, with practice and you know the right support, it, it, you know it can become, if not easier, certainly not as painful as it could be. Yeah, well, and, and I you know obviously was being a little facetious about that, but when we were talking in the pre-call, we were talking a lot about how. Your systems can't literally themselves have empathy. You can't build in empathy into the systems. So you have to build in the things that generate empathy, that generate those conversations where you go, hey, this feels like there's a misunderstanding here or somebody's confused. And that, you know, a lot of people when they ask questions about data feel real stupid. And as somebody who's kind of coming from outside the data world, you know, focused on the the database space for for a while, but you know, I've never been a coder or anything like that. I, 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 you know, 
I can write an okay SQL query. You know, I, I got certified in Tableau at one point and just, to, you know, kind of test it out or whatever. I, I managed to do that in like uh, a week or a weekend of study. So just crammed, 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 and then took the test. But, um, but a lot of this is people feel like they can't talk to each other. And so like, how do we get systems? How do we build those systems so that we can actually get people to talk to each other and have productive conversations instead of talking past each other is so difficult. I'm not asking you to solve that for people because you just had talked about how you approach that, but that it's, we have to think about that. We have to tell people like, you're going to have to talk to each other and this doesn't have to be a bad thing. Like you can have productive and fun conversations with each other when you're actually exchanging this context. It doesn't have to be so uh, am I the dumb one in the room versus we're both trying to figure this out. This stuff isn't, n- none of this stuff is self-evident. So let's let's stop pretending like, you know, uh, you know, like we're all... Uh, pretending like we're we're way deeper into this stuff than we than we really are because like you said your your business context around certain things might not be nearly as deep your systems context and your your you know data and uh, informational understanding context but you might not understand exactly what they're trying to encapsulate of what's going on in the real world we had that with uh, Andrew Padilla in episode 99 it's a very philosophical conversation you know and I had a couple of people who told me they really loved it. And I had a couple of people who were like, I, I wanted something really concrete from it. It's like, yeah, but we're trying to tell you, like encapsulating what's happening in the real world is what we're trying to achieve. But man, is that hard. And so having that conversation with people is is helpful in trying to build in systems that create those conversations. Like, do you have anything where you could tell people like any little things that you put in, any little mechanisms that created more conversations? I guess it's more a, a retrospective activity than anything that's built into the system or part of regular operations. Um, there, it's it's certainly not an original thought that I have. In fact, I can remember being presented as like a Friday afternoon activity where you just pull up a table or an entity or something that exists in your eco your data ecosystem. You know be it a database or, you know, a mart or lake or a swamp, whatever it is, like just pull up some data and sit with people, you know, who, who understand the context that, you know, resulted in this expression. You know, they may not recognize the expression of the data because, you know, systems model data in a, in a shape that works for them, right? But looking, you know, looking at what's presented going like, does this make sense? You know, for instance, you, know, you might be looking at, say, line items of a sale, and there's a, a column called, let's just say markdown, right? And it's being, you know, and, and, and for the most part, the values look like they're, you know, between zero and one. Let's just say they're being expressed like that. And then there's a row where it's suddenly like a negative integer, let's just say in this very contrived example. And so does this make sense? Like, you know, is, 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 is there any world in which this, this could work? Um, and you know, and and in these sorts of conversations, you know, where it's just kind of like, hey, to your point, I'm trying to make sense of this. You're trying to make sense of this. You know, can we together find some sort of meaning? You know, 
or come with some sort of theories about why this may have manifested this way, or perhaps it's just in some cases just completely wrong data, and we should implement it. You know, put put a check, safeguard against that. But going through the activity, I think, has helped people who aren't of the data discipline get a bit of an insight to oh wow, the way that I see the world and the way that it's being expressed, very different. You know, like there 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 is this like mapping exercise that needs to go on inside of your brain to kind of like put this all together. And then conversely, for those of us who are, you know, perhaps more on the data side, you get to hear little stories or little nuggets of information that, you know, help you better understand why things are being expressed in a certain way or um, give you a new appreciation for um, the importance of something that you may have previously just disregarded as not being all that informative um so yeah you know again it's how do we build this into systems you know perhaps there's some things around you know putting in feedback mechanisms um but again you know at least in my mind um that exchange of understanding is a very human thing um and yeah um as i say it it would be i i I look for I look forward to the advances from a systems and a tech perspective that does facilitate that. Yeah, I've kind of talked about, you know, I, I I gave up on data contract being so much about the conversation because it really, the, the phrasing around it and everything became very much about the technical systems back and forth. But then I say, okay, then you've got to wrap it with a data sharing agreement where you've got to have that conversational aspect around it or whatever, because so many people want the systems to just be the thing. And, and you know, somebody like Chad Sanderson talks about, well, um, data producers don't care at all about their data consumers. And it's like, no, it's not that they don't care. It's that we don't give them the capability to care. And so, yes, if like you're, you're a central data team, right? Your, your, your producers are, you probably don't have enough technical people in those producer sides to be able to, um, have them really, really do a lot of the work. So you have to do a little bit of that defensive and you have to do a lot of the, com- you know, of, of conversion and making sure everything works and, and that it, f- it flows through. But the more that we can provide further and further upstream so people can understand, like if we have tools where somebody's making a change to some software and it's like, hey, this will break these five things downstream. Do you still want to do this? They might go, no, or they might say, oh, I, I still really have to make this change and it's a breaking change. Let's talk through that conversation of how this breaks or why this breaks or, oh, wow, I didn't even know these people were using this stuff. You know, sometimes it's just dropping a column and they're like, oh, I was just dropping it because I'm not really using it anymore. But wow, it's really helpful for these people. So, yeah, we're going to keep it around or, um, you know, let, like, oh, we're refactoring a column oh, that's going to break all this stuff downstream. Like if we give people the ability to care, they will care. But if you're a software engineer and you, you're you going to make a change because you have to for your job you and you don't know what it's going to change downstream, but it might break something, what do you do? Do you just kind of freak out or do you ask into the void, hey, if I make this change, is this going to break anything? It's not going to help. Nobody knows. No. And so like that ability to push that, capability to have fruitful conversations is is difficult but 
the more that we can build systems that do that, that's what's going to end up creating a better world for everybody involved. But like, you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm wondering how, how the conversation has evolved internally around this stuff. Like how far into this and stuff are, are you, but like, where did it start out? So other people can feel like when they're starting out, they're not like, Oh, I should be 10 months later in the process because like this stuff starts out with that, like, Hey, we're trying this thing out and it's not going to be great, but it's going to be moderately good at the start, hopefully. And that's about as good as we can get at the start and figure out where it goes from there. Right. Yeah. So internally, um, yeah, uh, there, there was a, there, there is a larger um, effort in the organization to kind of take stock of the way that we do things in terms, in terms of process, um, and part of that was, you know, reckoning with the fact that if we're changing process, there's going to be you know impacts to the data, and so given that this was happening anyway, I figured well now would be a good time to have a bit of a think about the quality of the data and the assumptions about the data that that we're, that we're working with. So I, I I didn't kind of run out and say, hey, we're doing data contracts, um, because that would just confuse. Well, I mean, I don't want to say confuse. That sounds a bit dismissive, but people would be like, huh? What are you talking about? Right? You know, like that that just wouldn't connect with the vast majority of the, the people in my organization. But you know, coming in from the angle of you know we we're, we're taking a serious look at what our data means and what it when what expectations we should have of that data in terms of quality, that got a lot more attention um, and, and a lot more interest. And in terms of getting started, um, initially it was just about finding one person, you know, an, an ally that could meet me halfway in terms of the complexity of the problem and the, the value that we would realize from addressing this problem within a specific domain. So, you know, I, I just, and I, identified some cool sort of entities within my world and I said, okay, let me go find people that can talk to, you know, these specific entities. And I managed to find someone that was able to speak in depth and detail about our, our products, um, you know, the, the things that we sell, right. You know, why, you know, why they're categorized a certain way, why certain attributes are present what these attributes may mean, you know, because often I'm just seeing the expression out of the systems and it's like a six character column name. And I'm like, I have no idea what that means, you know? Um, so it was, it was literally just finding a singular person that could start, you know, educating me around, you know, what was the meaning of things and what was the significance. And also, you know, if you, if you're working in an organization that's been around for a while, what is the history? You know, that's the other thing around like data and data quality is that, you know, you may look at say the, you know, ten thousand or hundred thousand most recent rows, and you know you can make some reasonable inferences about it, and particularly if you are working with a, a system that's configurable, you know. But then you go beyond a certain point, and suddenly the, the 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 nature of the values being expressed changes, you know, and it's not even necessary that it changes like noticeably. It'll just be like gradually here and there. But over a long enough time period, you, if you profile the data, you'll start to see like, hang on a minute, like the nature of the data that exists in this you know, column that has a six letter acronym has changed. How? Why? You know, what's the significance? Um, 
So we, yeah, it was it was really sort of like a, a bit of archaeology, uh, just to you know again, yeah, identify what are the, the the core things that the core entities, the core concepts, the core domains that you know matter in your world, and then just you know to do the gumshoe work of asking around like, hey, who is a person that knows where the you know the the the, the proverbial bodies are buried, and and take it from there. Yeah, Abhisiba Asylum said this about when he was at Flexport, the concept of the word order had grown uh, like 10x or something in three years. You know, it, it, it used to be very, very simple and now it's it, it had become, but like even what you're talking about, oh, yeah, at, at this date, we stopped calling this light pink and then we changed it to dusty rose or whatever. You know, like that, that you're talking about like colors earlier and how that stuff can evolve and that you um it becomes such an important uh understanding to be like what has been what would have been the trends and okay if i don't understand that then it looks like all of a sudden this thing went from you know pretty popular to zero and this new thing went from nothing to pretty popular and it's like no it like that doesn't really reflect what and and does that matter? And, you know, oh, okay, that was six years ago. Does that really matter? Versus, right. okay, we're looking at the last 12 months. Yes, we did. We did a, a, re, a change of all of our color names and it really impacted sales. And so we had this one and we don't love the color name. And we actually saw that, you know, its market share went down considerably and its sales went down, you know, 5%. But we named this new one and, and we really do think that this name changed. And all of a sudden, you know, its market share went up a lot and its sales went up, you know, considerably as well, like more than the, the general pathway of our sales. So how much does he, do these naming conventions matter? And, and uh, you know, maybe what are the margins on the different uh, colorings? And so we can maybe kind of juice some things to get a little bit better margin if we want to focus on that instead of pure peer number of sales and things so yeah it's 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 kind of crazy how much that stuff can actually impact and, and and around that you know um you know you touched on a great point there is when dealing with the you know the the, the concept of, of data quality and in particular if you are in a you know a, a data engineering function that is concerned with what is all of the what is all of the knowledge that we've ever had and then you know making it trustworthy and reliable and available and then you're wanting to write some sort of guarantees around it, you may just have to be pragmatic. And at some point, you know, data older than this date, we're just going to have to just accept it for what it is. You know, like there, there, there are too many things going on right now and more things coming us out of the future, you know, and I'd, I'd love to be able to say like, yeah, you know, I have tests that, you know, are able to evolve over the entire lifetime of the, 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 the data that we have expressed from the activity over all the many, many, many years, but is that, is that really going to make the difference, right? Um, and the other thing that really, I think, is um, an important step to take around articulating uh, data quality is let's take the example of like a product. You know, there are there's a life cycle to products, you know, like there's the, the inception stage, there's, you know, perhaps a design stage, there's a prefabrication stage, there's a fabrication stage, yada, 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 right? And in terms of like the impacts to the greater ecosystem, they are, they're not all equal, right? You know, like at, at the inception stage, 
the impact of data quality then is to 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 the to the rest of the systems downstream is at least for you know my 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 current focus is negligible like you know they could enter in anything you know and because that information is not being used anywhere because it's it's conceptual right um you know could i potentially go about articulating a data contract for that stage of the of, of the product life cycle potentially but is it going to really deliver a whole heap of value probably not right now so I, I i can let it go which you know sounds weird to say you know if you are talking about data quality and of course your, your context absolutely matters like you know if you're if you're building like nanobots that are doing surgery inside of people's like brain pathways, then it's probably a very different situation. So like, please, you know, like context matters and, you know, <laughs> take the advice from when it came, comes. Um, but yeah, you know, when you're setting out to, to tackle this thing, you know, it, do, it does bear taking the time to consider the data is an expression of activity of, of, of life cycles and which are like the, tr the, the transition points that matter, which, which are the transition points where the, 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 the world becomes bigger, you know, so that this piece of information gets, gets exposed to a larger world. And those would be the points where, you know, I would say is worth investing your time and energy initially to kind of articulate, okay, here are our expectations and, and this is what we could reasonably expect. And then also that lens of, you know, if you've been around, if your organization has been around for a while and you're, you know, sort of starting this, you know, from, oh, I don't want to say greenfields, but you certainly, if you're, if you're, if you're doing this um, without having a whole lot already in place, it may be worth just sort of identifying like a, a point in time where it's like, you know, we're, we're just going to accept that data before this time is what it is for now. And if if it becomes a pressing issue in the future, we can come back to it because we've probably learned some things in the interim that we just don't know now. Yeah, you're talking about points of value leverage, right? Like, if where, where are the points of actual leverage for where we should spend um, that that time? And and I think this was also what happened with the the data swamp was everyone just went, we can clean everything up, uh, you know, it, it'll be of value, and nobody really assessing what was. Of value still, or you know, like you said, hey, we've got this historical data. We're not going to clean it up. We've already made that decision. So, do we still even want it? And that you can start to have those conversations as well. So you can start to be like more and more of what do we do when that's going to drive value? That's what matters. Versus let's try to do everything. And those those organizations that try and do everything with data are the ones that are struggling more and more because they're just they're not they're not creating focus they're not finding the points where what what actually matters to their business so yeah it's 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 an interesting conversation but um so we were we were planning on on kind of wrapping up a little bit around that binary thinking especially around data um because you're you're i think we've both seen this where there's again that your data is your right or wrong or it's valuable or it's not valuable or anything like that like are you seeing that as more on the data professional side? Are you seeing it more on the the consumers and producers that aren't as data literate, but are the the business folks? Are you kind of seeing it on both? Like where 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 do you think people are really missing the forest for the trees? I think it's it's just people. You know, I I, th I, 
I don't think you're immune to it based on your proximity to uh, the mechanics of moving data around. Um, because I, I, you know, I too have fallen into this trap of thinking, you know, this particular thing needs to be really, really precise in order for it to be useful. Um, only to then, you know, through experience, hopefully not painful, but sometimes painful, to then realize, oh, actually, it's not all that informative, you know. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I don't think, at least based on my experience, that I could say that, oh yeah, it's definitely coming from the data people, it's definitely coming from the business people. And I think perhaps the, the, the distinguishing factor is, what is the... I mean, to use a very general word, what is the risk or the the, the fear around being wrong that 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 that, that surrounds the particular data point? You know, because I think that 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 is probably what drives it. Right? I, I think it's it comes from a place of wanting to mitigate or avoid poor outcomes. You know, so when when things are scary or when things are complicated um, or worse, both. You know, having having the assurance that you know our data is, you know, exactly correct, um, you know, gives us a a sense of comfort, even if it is potentially a false sense of comfort, and even if something which would be directional but not as precise potentially would be more useful because you know very accurate things, very accurate measurements don't necessarily give you a sense of direction, right? You know, like. I, you know, I, I could tell you that, you know, a, a piece of cake, you know, weighs X number of m micrograms, right? You know, it, it give you a very precise piece of you know, measurement, right? But um, if, if, if what you really need to know is, hey, your, your blood sugar level is, you know, pretty high, you know, you know, higher than usual, maybe don't eat the cake. Uh, I, you know, perhaps that's a terrible example. I'm thinking of food right now. Um, <laughs> you know, like, you know that is how tasty it's going to be, right? Oh, this is exactly yeah. how many micrograms it is. How much satisfaction are you going to get from it? Well, that's much more related to the taste and how hungry you are and how much you want cake versus the actual measurement of that. Yeah. So like, you know, it's the, the idea that exactness will save you from um, situations you don't want to be in or situations that you want to avoid. And only exactness um, is is you know not true, you know. I, yeah, I, as, as I said, you know, having something that is correct but directional, and it that doesn't have to be exact, is probably what you need in that situation. Well, like you look at somebody like putting together a concert series that's going to launch in March or April of 2020. Right. And and you go, okay, all of the data says this. We're we've got all of this data through, you know, November, December, uh, January, February of, of you know, 19, 2019, 2020, that says we've got all the data. It's perfect. It's saying this is exactly what our strategy should be. The world changes, right? Like and and that's also where you kind of have to say the impact doesn't reflect on, you know, how good the data was in, in a lot of ways. It's like but that's like how you mitigate the risk is by figuring out ways to make smaller, better bets instead of trying to be so perfect that all of your bets are are perfect versus you're like, okay, 
how do we make this so that our our bets can still have significant payoff but have much smaller risk they still have that upside but they have much smaller downside and so um that's where i think having those conversations people haven't really thought about leveraging data to do that in that same way to be able to be like we can make instead of making one giant intuitive leap based on trying to put together all this data why don't we make five different leaps yeah i don't know if you've ever read the um the what is it the now i can't think of it it's the asimov series the foundation series right and so um to jump through space you you can only go a certain amount in each jump and then you have to recalculate exactly where you are and do this and if you try and make a longer jump you know your chance of ending up in a star or you know getting crashing into a, a planet or an asteroid or whatever something floating through space increases very you know kind of not infinitely but close to um you know significantly greater than linearly um but the uh, uh you know they create some systems that make it so that you know later in the in the book series that it just jumps and then jumps and then jumps and it just does the calculations and it and it just automatically does that and that's where you want to do is is make it so that you can make those smaller bets quicker and and do that type of thing and have that conversation but i mean that's that's what a lot of data mesh is about is is limiting your blast radius and making it so you're not trying to just you know make these huge huge turns and twists and and you have to put everything together you can just quickly yeah test and measure and things like that around yeah. data but. And, and the other thing you know like reflecting upon this desire for accuracy is again you know the fact that the world is dynamic and changes you know like if if you get comfortable with using i don't i'm, I'm not advocating for imprecise measurements by any <laughs> means but if you get comfortable with using sort of uh, signals rather than you know exact measurements you know again you know i believe that if something's scary or you know difficult you know, with the right guidance and then and the right reflection and with repeated you know exposure to it you could you you can become better or you know reduce that 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 fear that surrounds it right so um and and it's difficult, right? Because you're you're, you're asking people to ab to abandon this idea that they can have certainty in uncertain times, and saying no, <laughs> you know that 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 is a a, a a false hope. You know, let's rather look at you know these these things that are smaller, but you know are informative. And practice and come back into the practice of reevaluating and deciding, reevaluating and deciding, reevaluating deciding, you know, on a much smaller cadence than, you know, this this hope of we have an exacting plan that assumes a whole lot about the world and that the world will continue along a fixed path when in reality it's it's not gonna. Yeah. I mean it's we're expecting our our capabilities around data to not reflect real life, right? We we learn and we get better, hopefully. Right. Like that, that, like we make mistakes in life and we learn and we, we hopefully get better. And we're still going to make mistakes, even as, as, you know, as, uh, well, you know, I'm, I, if, if I had hair, it'd be seasoned and, and, and gray. Um, so, you know, as, as we head down that path, we, 
and we're just expecting data as if it's this infallible thing. And and it, even if it were infallible, even if it were exactly accurate, as you said, it might not tell us what we think it's going to tell us, and or it might it might not reflect what the real world will look like versus what the real world did look like. And even then, it doesn't really reflect what the real world did look like because we can't perfectly encapsulate what it was and all that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. And and again, you know, like for me, you know, I, I one of the the beliefs that I strongly hold on to is if a a measurement doesn't help inform a decision or you know an, an action, it doesn't have a whole lot of value in my mind. Right. So you know, you might have an exacting and very precise measurement but if you have no nothing to compare it to or no sort of benchmark or no sort of expectation or no sort of breakpoint or an understanding of, of of the history of of that thing or its context you know I, I struggle to see how that would help inform a decision or inform action right so again you know I'd much rather take something that perhaps is less precise or less exacting but helps me come to a decision or formulate a plan of action than something that, you know, was super duper precise that I kind of look up and go like, well, it's precise, but I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. K- Katie Bauer made that, that as well, uh, that point of if you're not going to change any of your behavior, no matter what the measurement comes back with, why are you measuring it? And sometimes, you know, you might just be like, hey, we're trying to figure this out. We're trying to to see what this is, because in the future, we think this will be important. Okay, you're building up the measurement for that. But in general, if it's not going to change what you're going to do, why are you wasting time on it? So, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of value in that. Well, we covered a whole heck of a lot, some some philosophical, some more uh, <laughs> uh, particular on this. Is there anything we didn't cover that you would have liked to or any way you'd like to kind of wrap up the content of the episode? Yeah, you know, I think just coming back to that, that thing around um, empathy. Right. Um, and again, you know, like, as I said, today I had a moment where upon reflection, perhaps I didn't do so great on that front. Um, and so I guess the parting thought that I want to leave with people is um, it's, it's, it's an ongoing practice. You're not always going to get it right the first time. You, know, you may have to go back and say, hey, I didn't do great in that conversation. Can, can we have another go at it? Um, and it's, it's an active practice of, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if saying fighting against yourself is quite the right word, but being conscious that, you know, your brain is that scumbag optimizer, that it's going to look for the, the most energy efficient path to come to a conclusion. And that may not be working in your long-term favor or in the favor of the relationship that you're, you're, you're trying to build up or in favor of the understanding that you're trying to work towards, um, so yeah, I guess you know I just kind of want to share that it's a it's a it's a learning that I continuously am thinking about and continuously recognize that oh you know I could have done better, but when you do get to that moment of I understand your point of view and I understand why you care about these things, it it just makes it makes for I guess a more fulfilling experience. You know, like, because, you know, otherwise you're just moving bits of information around. But if you can have an understanding of why, you know, the context, you know, why does this matter? What what can people do with it? How does this change their lives? Um, you know, I guess speaking for myself, because that's the only person I can really speak for. But once I have that, 
it just makes for a richer experience. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's that's the parting thought that I'd leave with people is um it's hard, um, but like a lot of things that are hard, if you put the effort in, the rewards are great. Yeah, I think I think there are a lot of really really people focused on the I want to just move the bits around, and that's where. I'm hoping we can shift some of those people. But then again, I don't think the people that have uh, stuck around in the audience for this long, not just this episode, but in general in the podcast would, uh, are probably in that same camp. But well, Ryan, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would love to follow up with you, especially about the, um, you know, how can I take data contracts and actually make it applicable to my organization? Is there any specific place that you'd like them to follow up? Anything specific you'd like people following up about? Yeah, um, you know, so in terms of topics, you know, data, data contracts, um, perhaps things that might fall into the bucket of good old-fashioned business analysis, because, you know, I'm, I'm a recovering business analyst, um, you know, sort of uh, abstraction and modeling, you know, like if, if, if you can squeeze it under that that topic, abstraction, modeling, meaning, um, you know, I, I'd probably love to wax lyrical about it. And in terms of finding me, uh, LinkedIn's probably the best place to do it, so linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Ryan Collingwood. I managed to nab that one. That's probably a good place to find me. Uh, so yeah, you know, ha- happy to talk about, you know, that whole swath of topics there. And we'll drop a link in that in the, in the show notes to make it easy for folks to find you. But again, Ryan, thank you so much for spending the time here with me today. And as well, thank you everyone out there for listening. Thank you for having me. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Ryan Collingwood, Head of Data and Analytics at Oroton Group. You can find a link to his LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.